0: Because uh, I'm going to show a video in a moment that Pastor Graham intended to show last week. But in order to kind of make sense of it for you, I have to do two things that I'm really loath to do. Uh, One is to reference a sort of potentially a bit pretentious cultural artifact, a movie. uh, A a movie that uh, dates from the Soviet Russia uh, in the late 70s. You see, you can see it's already going there. Not uh, a period in cinema that's known for uh, romantic comedies. or No, I think it was um, Adam Sandler. Uh, So I'm going to do that even more than I've just done it. And then uh, the other thing is uh, I'm (laughs) going to try and summarise uh, the film for you. You know that thing where someone tries to like tell you the plot of a movie that they've just seen? I hate that. (laughs) But I'm going to do it. I would honestly, I would rather eat your toenails than listen to you give me a synopsis of the movie that you've just seen. Uh, anyway, so he, here we go. Stalker. Stalker uh, by Andre Tarkovsky. Who's seen it? Everyone, I assume, has seen it? You've actually seen it, Chris? <laughs> of course you did. Might be a good thing you're going to Western Australia, Chris. <laughs> No. So, uh, just quickly, it's a movie that sort of... Yeah, honestly, I need to do this to make sense of the clip. It's a movie that's sort of based around a quest. So, there's like a guide and there's these two other figures. uh, And and the end of the quest involves uh, this room where their desires are... Like, if you go to this room, your desires are materialised. Your desires are... They come to life. Sounds like, you know of an attractive quest maybe in some ways to get to uh, the place where your desires come to life. But there's an interesting twist in the movie and I think it, it makes a lot of sense. When they get to the room, it occurs, dawns on these two figures that have been led there by Stalker, the guide, that the consequences of having their desires materialise could be significant in ways that they couldn't foresee perhaps the question is raised for them perhaps what we desire is somehow hidden from us perhaps what we really want at some base or core level um, is somewhat mysterious and could be somewhat negative somehow so we're going to jump into this clip thanks Chris, and there'll be a passing reference to this film, and you'll forgive me for referencing the kind of movies that Chris and his brother watched for fun. Okay, so if you were here last week, uh, you hopefully can see a connection uh, to what Pastor Graham was speaking about, Um, and I'll go over that just quickly. If you you missed it, you can catch it on the web, Um, but last week, Pastor Graham, might have been the wrong microphone that went down for a second there, introduced this idea to us that we are, as creatures, loving things. Uh, God has created us, not just as thinking things or doing things, but as loving things. And he introduced this idea that the things we do actually shape what we love, and what we love can shape the things that we do. So, Pastor Graham used this language of when it comes to a life of faith. You know, uh, Scripture tells us that that God uh, plants the seed that the vine of of faith grows uh, because that's how God set the world up. But he suggested that as a community of faith, what we need to do is establish some trellises, some things for the life of faith to grow on, to give its shape so just to summarize very briefly and Chris I might need you to click back onto the um, PowerPoint just so I can click or are we going to have no it's going to work so uh, this is a reference to uh, a book that Pastor Graham referenced last week by the man who was talking just then who's a sort of um, Pentecostally reformed Christian philosopher called James Smith he's written this book called You Are What You Love where he unpacks this in a little bit more detail, but to just hit the key points for our purposes this morning. He says that if you understand what a human being is, uh, with reference to scripture, uh, we are primarily lovers. We are loving things. Uh, He says, and it's a bit of a scary thought, um, it's possible that we might not love what we think we love. What's your life about Jesus, we would answer as people of faith. But then to actually look at the content of our lives, at our calendars, is it showing up actually on the balance sheet of our lives, on our calendars? Is, is, it, a, is it a life that's shaped like someone who loves Jesus? That's a confronting question. He also makes this point that and as I've, I've mentioned this just briefly on the way through, that our loves are shaped by the things we do. And there's a bit of a kind of uh, circuitous um, relationship there that we're shaped by the things we do, our loves are shaped by the things that we do, but also the things that we do, that we love, shape the things that we do. Um, and he uses this word, and it's maybe got some baggage for it, for us uh, in in Christian circles, and so we've largely kind of abandon it we might associate it with sort of stuffy traditional religion but he uses this word liturgy and uh, it's actually a good word because the word worship which we tend to use instead of liturgy you've heard enough sermons to know that worship isn't just what we're doing when we're singing right actually our whoops saying i'm should i stick with this it's saying the battery's full jake is that Swap it out. Um, So, worship means to ascribe worth. And you can do that when you're singing. We ascribe worth to God. But we can do it with our calendars as well. Liturgy actually just means, if you break it down to the root words, the work of the people. So, the things that God's people do because they are God's people. Now, some things have happened in the church in recent centuries. Um, Understandably motivated, uh, but maybe questionable when we stop and really look at them. There was a phenomenon uh, probably about 30 years ago that started. You might have heard of it. People began to uh, called the church growth movement. And people began to think about, well, what can we do to really get as many people as possible in the doors of our churches? seems like a good goal, right? The problem is, often in sort of trying to achieve that aim of getting as many people into churches as possible, we were starting from a position of what is going to appeal to people rather than a position of what are the things that we should do when we are together as the people of God. Uh, rather than even looking to Scripture, and that's where we're going to get to today, I'm just going to spend a little bit of script, uh, time looking at what Scripture says the people of God should be doing when they get together and have a Sunday service. Um, we have often, and I own this, I think uh, none of us have been immune from this. I'm not pointing the finger at a particular type of church. We've started with, well, what, maybe it's, it's been a little bit like, well, what will people put up with? Uh, But uh, maybe if we've had the resources, we've thought, well, what will really draw people? What would people love to come and see on a Sunday? And actually, the more people you have, oftentimes the more resources (laughs) that you have. And so there's also been this sort of uh, uh, point (laughs) to grow as much as possible so you can be resourced to do the sorts of things that will bring more and more people to the church. It's great if we're bringing people to Jesus and to uh, a community that God wants them to be a part of, the community of the people of God. However, you might be able to see just from the way that I've kind of laid that out, that there can be a sort of a backdoor to a whole lot of um, what James K. Smith calls kind of secular liturgies coming in. It can be a backdoor uh, because the things that people want, the things that they desire, the things that they love out there in the world, might <laughs> not be the things that really work to sustain faith. Can you see the point I'm making? Can you follow? James Smith just passingly uses a great phase, uh, phrase there about the songs of Babylon. We don't even realise when we're singing the songs of Babylon. Babylon I wonder if you could just take five minutes um, and you can we can be a little bit uh, interaction interactive here so if you need clarification shout out to me I'm okay with you shouting out uh, and asking a question but I wonder if you could take a moment just to chat to someone next to you about um, what you might see the world Babylon as a a picture of the world, sort of shaping you to love and how it does that. So what are the things that are a part of our lives that are shaping us to love stuff, that are shaping our desires, which might not necessarily be conducive, which might not be helpful for us as the people of God, which might not kind of build faith in our lives. Do you get the the, the picture that I'm saying? So the classic example he looks at uh, uh, in this lecture is he says, my phone, my phone is just always wanting my attention. <laughs> it's shiny, there's infinite scroll and it's shape. I mean, you can have a guess. Maybe that's something you can talk about. The sorts of things that your phone might be training you to desire and to, to love. Can we jump back in at, Just before 10, uh, I'll pull you in just before 10 past. So have a chat about that. Cultural liturgies, the songs of Babylon. What are you being shaped to love or desire? Okay, I I think I might have said I was going to give you a little bit more time. But it sounds like people have been able to jump straight into it. And just to keep the show moving, I'll uh, ask you if you can just wind up where you're at. And um, I wonder, thanks everyone, that was was very cooperative of you. Uh, Did anyone come up with something that you'd be willing to share? So, something in the world that's shaping your desires, what those desires might be. But you can probably imagine that dynamic, feeling better than other people, maybe without doing any work to justify that. Uh, Great. Um anyone else yep that's a great one uh, Zeke. advertising and philosophers have observed that you know once upon a time we could take a break from advertising we can't now with our phones so we're constantly being uh, shaped to be consumers (laughs) Uh, the link to sex there is to be consumers of sex which is an object not a relationship so there's a lot in that advertising thanks Zeke Chris that can be connected to the to our phones as well, and the infinite scroll, can't it? Just like, do, is anyone familiar with the term doom scrolling? I remember doing that when the when the war kicked off too. I just couldn't get enough information, but it might have been too much information in some ways. Well, y- you're seeing the point that's being made. There are forces at work in our world, which are shaping us in a way which might not be conducive. To faith, and what we 've been talking about here at Cornerstone is just having a fresh look at what we do when we gather together on a Sunday to to just check how much are we being shaped by maybe uh, what goes on in the world <laughs> by our culture, for instance, uh, versus how much are we being shaped by scripture and the Christian tradition by our relationship to God. And Pastor Graham, um, as I mentioned, he's, he's used the language, I think it's great language, of trellises. So we put things in place so that the vine grows and is fruitful. Stephen is going to uh, read a passage for us, and I'm going to give you the mic. Thanks, Stephen. Uh,
1: this comes from Exodus 24, verses 1 to 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others may not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early in the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it into bowls and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words.
0: Thanks, Stephen. I might grab that as well. It's all right. So, if you were to look in the New Testament for an order of service, you'd be... Uh, sorely disappointed, you wouldn't find an order of service for what a church should do when we gather um, on a Sunday. Uh, and, and there's a few reasons for that. I think one is that uh, the early Christians who were leading the communities were Jews and they, they had a way of worshipping when they were together. Um, another, I think, is that uh, there was an emphasis in Jesus's message of freedom and grace. You know, the Jews eventually came to learn, uh, you know, the the early Jewish Christians, it involved a fight between a couple of the apostles at one stage, that God had an intention for all people to come into his family. And there were ways that the Jewish kind of cultural identity of some of those early Christians was providing barriers. So Gentile Christians were like, bumping up against stuff that made them feel like they had to be Jewish to be a Christian. And the revelation that the Christian community eventually grasps is God is saying, that doesn't matter to me. What I really care about is the state of the heart and that all people would be able to worship me. Um, But all of that to say, there's not really a clear kind of woe, go to woe. This is what you do when you get together on a Sunday morning. So what Christians did actually, even uh, once the church was mostly Gentile, mostly not Jewish, was they went to the worship life of Israel for a sort of pattern of how we were to worship as God's people. And this passage that we've just read is sort of like the template, and I'm going to show you very quickly how, The template for what a gathered community of God's people do when we come together. So you might recognize that this passage comes uh, just after Moses has received the law. God has set the Hebrew slaves free from Egypt. They've crossed the sea Uh, Their enemies uh, have been drowned. They're now on the way to the promised land. And God begins this process of shaping them and forming them into his people. So he gives them the law. Uh, The Ten Commandments come to Moses when he's up on the mountain. But then this process of well, what does that look like for all of us as a people kicks into gear. And so there's four things I want to point out just quickly from this passage that shaped Christian worship, shaped Jewish worship, shaped Christian worship, at least up until about uh, the 1700s when Americans got a hold of Christianity and made it weird. Might be generalizing a little bit there, but maybe not too much. I love you, America. So, four things that worshipping together is based on this passage. Uh, and the way that Christians have kind of run with this through history. The first thing is that worship is a response to God. So God, three in one, is an always and forever worshipping community. Uh, You might have a picture of that, that the Father, Son and Spirit are engaged in, have been engaged in eternal worship, one to the others. Um, and then when God creates the universe, as we read about in Genesis, uh, the, the universe is invited into this worshipping community. And so throughout the Old Testament, particularly, we can read of creation being engaged in this relationship of worship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Worship is something that is always happening. And so what we do when we gather Is that we are mindful of that and we step into that. So in Exodus 24, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel. God is the first actor here. If you've ever sort of struggled to get to church, uh, there's a good chance that you're doing it out of a sense of obligation. Or a sense of what it might mean to you. However, worship is not (laughs) based in those things. God has freed us as he freed the Hebrew slaves. He has called us into light. And so when we come on a Sunday, even if it means not going to the beach, sometimes, sometimes you can go to the beach. But when we come on a Sunday, we're not coming (laughs) because we're doing anything for God. Not first and foremost. We're coming on a Sunday Because God has saved us. He is forming us into his people. And that is something worth connecting with his people about and celebrating. Now, sure, sometimes it's a bummer to miss out on the beach. But it's not about what we're missing out on. It's about what's being done for us, the gift of grace. We might need reminding, but that's what's going on. So the second thing that uh, Jewish religion was on about and that Christians picked up and ran with was that like kind of corporate worship, what we're doing when we're together on a Sunday, has a certain structure to it. And the structure is geared towards full participation of the body. Um, Now, this is aspirational I think for all churches definitely for us one of the conversations we have time and time again and part of what we're doing here is really about going do we meet do we meet this expectation do we live up to this expectation is there a sense in which we can structure our service so that it's more about all of you than it is about the person with the microphone but you can read in Exodus 24 here verse 1 the Lord says come up Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel. So he's like it's it's about the people of God corporately. God is inviting the people of God into an assembly. Later in verse 5, then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. So you can see that people have tasks on a Sunday. Um We might love the idea that it could just go freeform. Um, If you get that to work, if you think you can, you actually probably have freedom to go try that (laughs) somewhere. And if you get it working, invite the rest of us because we'd love to come. Basically, as human beings, we need a plan. We need a structure. We don't want to be slaves to it, but we need a pattern of worship. And actually, what we're seeing here is a bit of uh, that pattern. The third thing that is going on when we worship together is we are doing something together that is characterized, I couldn't think of a less sort of nerdy way to say this, characterized by the proclamation of the word of God. So in Exodus 24, you can see Moses went and told the people about God's words and laws and they responded with a voice, one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. What is going on in that assembly is God is speaking to those who have responded to the invitation, those who recognize themselves as a part of God's people. And then fourthly and finally, so first, we had um, that it is a response to God. Second, we had that it has some uh, structure Third, we had that God's word is proclaimed. And fourth, we have uh, what we are doing when we come together is participating in a covenant event. And on that note, um, if there's anyone who doesn't have communion elements, um, could you just stick your hand up? I'm actually one of those people who doesn't have something for communion uh, because we're going to end with that. Thank you, Pastor Dwayne. Wonderful. So we see this really clearly in the assembly that God has called together here in exodus twenty four and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings. Moses took half of the blood we don 't have time to go into the significance of all of this this morning. <laughs> thank, maybe thank God uh, <laughs> And uh, he put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything that the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, he sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Sometimes the language of sign act is used uh the people of israel i mean the reasons for the sacrificial system the way that god had them worship a complex but they were doing something in the physical that affirmed the spiritual reality of the fact that they had been saved that they had a particular identity that god was doing something in and through them and really um It's not so dissimilar, <laughs> is it, to to what we're doing as as Christians? You can see, I hope, the overlap. Going to get the band up in, uh, yeah. Actually, now it'd be great. Thanks, Charlie and team. One of the things that seemed to happen during COVID, when the habit of church attendance and that did, this didn't happen here so much, but I hear other pastors chatting about this, when the habit of church attendance got disrupted was lots of people um, asked the question actually why were we going to church all those years the beach is better (laughs) the cafe is better well I guess it depends on your desires right depends on what you want why you're going to church I have to be honest occasionally I get to maybe more than more than occasionally, more than I'd like to admit, I get to the end of a Sunday morning service and go, what am I doing here? Or even partway through, what am I I doing here this morning? The point of what we do when we come together is to answer (laughs) that question. And we want to be a community that answers that question well. Firstly, it's the wrong question. It's an I question. It's a me question. I think Peter um, answers the question really well in the second chapter of the epistle. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're God's special possession. You're made to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people. (laughs) Once you didn't have the blessing of uh, the blessing. Mostly a blessing of a community. And now you do. You're the people of God. Once you hadn't received mercy. Now you have received mercy. The question isn't what am I doing here. But the question is what are we doing here. And are these other things that we're doing. Um, We're going to unpack it more in the coming weeks. Go into some of the details of it. We're responding to a God who has saved us, right? Maybe it's been so long (laughs) for some of us since the moment that he saved us that we're we're out of touch with actually the fact that life is much, it makes much more sense for us now. It's much better now. The beach is great, but if you go to the beach every Sunday instead of church, eventually you're going to (laughs) forget who you are. We are a people who respond to God who saved us. We are participants in shaping our mutual loves. Stephen comes to church in this reality for me as much as for him. Because he knows that God does something when we're together. that shapes both of us. You know, the kind of person (laughs) that he's going to work through the kind of person who can sing of his love, can shine his light. We're here because we believe that we hear God together. God speaks through scripture, of course, hopefully through the preachers, though (laughs) you can't always take that for granted. Sometimes the amount of times people say, I really love this point in your sermon. I'm like, I didn't preach that, but I'm I'm glad it's a good point. You know, Protestants, we uh, really are all about the Bible speaking, and the Bible does speak. But we're also Pentecostals, and we believe, and Graham says this sort of thing all the time, that we encounter God in the cafe, we encounter God in the, in the greeting break, we encounter God in, in worship. God speaks to us when we're together, and that's one of the reasons why we come together. And then finally, and we're going to do this together we are affirming God's covenant with us. You might think of marriage as a covenant. It's a, it's a binding relationship that we're drawn into. You know, we're not legalistic here about church attendance. We're not legalistic about much. But um, something legal in 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 a more than kind of law of the land sense happens when we drink this cup and share this bread we are drawn together we are made by the spirit something more than ourselves we are made a part of God's people